हेलो हाई एवरी वन वेलकम टू गाइडिंग वॉइस पॉडकास्ट सीरीज द गाइडिंग वॉइस फॉर अ बेटर फ्यूचर दिस पॉडकास्ट इज टू हेल्प स्टूडेंट्स एंड यंग प्रोफेशनल्स टू शेप देयर कैरियर्स थैंक यू फॉर ट्यूनिंग इन दिस इज नवीन एंड विथ माई को होस्ट सुधाकर डियर लिसनर्स इन दिस एपिसोड वी वॉन्ट टू कवर द टॉपिक ऑफ स्टोरी टेलिंग ट्रेडिशनली फॉर इंडियंस Storytelling should come naturally as grandparents teach morals in the form of bedtime stories and we are used to it since our childhood unfortunately with the families becoming nuclear and independent this skill now is being explicitly taught by professionals like sinjini and we are pleased to welcome sinjini to our show today to have a conversation around storytelling and its benefits in both personal and professional world Sinjini Sen Gupta is an author, columnist, TED speaker, distinguished toastmaster and also is the founder of Lighthouse, a company that primarily specializes on storytelling, change management and thought leadership. Sinjini is working towards a world that works for all. An alumna of Indian Statistical Institute ISI Sinjini Sen Gupta is an erstwhile actuary and now an award winning author columnist and professional speaker. She is the author of the award winning book Elixir which was themed on womanhood and its alternate realities. And that book was made into a short film in Bengali and it was also screened at prestigious 69th Cannes Film Festival in the year 2016. as a keynote speaker and columnist sinjani focuses on the areas of conscious leadership emotional wellness gender sensitivity and creative expressions in both written and spoken words sinjani is regularly invited to various national and international conferences literary and film festivals educational institutes business schools and corporate organizations to deliver keynotes master classes and conducting workshops she is also a vipassana meditator and a seeker sinjini welcome again to the guiding voice podcast series happy to have you here thank you so very much navin and sudhakar i am excited to be here and excited to take your stories thank you so much for that very elaborate and generous introduction So Sinjini let us understand the basics of storytelling. You know like Navin was mentioning earlier we are used to hearing a lot of stories from our childhood. Can we talk a bit about the origin of storytelling and how that actually drives our personality? Yes, thank you for that question that opens so much of possibilities perhaps that alone could be a full day session in itself. Origin of storytelling is a very interesting thing. I somehow believe uh, I think it's a pretty common assumption to me that uh, storytelling came before languages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because uh, as we were kind of becoming human uh, in through the stages of evolution and we were trying to you know become gatherers and hunters and kind of uh, prey upon and find our food from the jungles and collect honey around the time maybe uh, and this is a bit of a imagination but also a bit of a conjecture but i believe that the seed lies in truth 
when human beings perhaps would have learned to light fire for the first time using stones and put wood together fire wood together in amber and kind of light it you know light it and gather around they would perhaps communicate with each other and tell each other that you know so there is danger in that area don't go there and there is this new pot i have found honey in and there is this much before language was invented of course we have uh, archaeologists have found, found several pictures drawn on the walls of the caves everything so what is not a story i mean i would rather like to throw back the question in this fashion what is not even a story i mean numbers tell a story words tell a story pictures tell a story films tell a story theaters tell a story silence tells a story right? <laughs> so what yeah. is not even a story and uh, that is dating back in time if we date back in a person's life again stories start as early as a person perhaps is born or even unborn in the womb uh, you know they say that a baby can start to hear and uh, observe and feel even when um, it's not out in the world and it knows its mother's voice etc when a mm-hmm. child is born the first expressions the first bonding the human need that needs to be met is physical touch story communication much before the child learns to say its first word and again very very small infants the way we start telling stories to put them to sing you put them to sleep very first lullabies and those are essentially words in a bit of a narration it's in a bit of a story and and then making the child afraid you know don't go near fire or go to sleep or else some demon would come or in in the indian culture gabbar singh would come or even to tell them any story like soon enough we put them into the trap of uh, fairy tales now that is another political connotation altogether the girls would be damsels in distress waiting in tall towers with long hair and fair skin and looking pretty and doing nothing and the boys would come you know princess charming in horseback and uh, come to rescue the girls a very political gender uh, you know loaded the stories of stereotypes and then the stories about even you know the stories back from india the folk tales like one king and two queens the queen which was pretty was actually jealous and bad and the one who was you know, epitome of sacrifice and always weeping so pleasure is guilty and sacrifice is golden our morality starts right there so stories are essential stories are political as humans evolved um, from agricultural age through industrial age through knowledge through you know perhaps now we are knocking on the door of the age of wisdom as they say mm-hmm. we are coming past those times early in my career like i am i had a very long career of 12 years as an actuary so an actuary is uh, you might know the work we do as actuaries is essentially talking to computers with numbers and the most i wrote was bullet points on paper Uh, so <laughs> so the leaders you know the town halls and the annual reports and the targets those would be typically etched in bar diagrams and pie charts and we would be talking numbers all the time and these are the company goals these are the growth rates so we will have a generous bonus when there will be projections and when the time comes there would be a moderation on that but those were largely numbers and boxes and colors we have consciously or unconsciously out of a, you know general i would say a consciousness shift has been there we are now 
seeing that we don't need that we need stories anything that sticks with people are stories stories stick and numbers kind of slip by so even leadership is now speaking in a more uh, evolved language of storytelling teams are built upon you know like anything really the green room conversations before a theater before a cricket match everything i believe is all those pep talks anything is really stories you know imaginations go out there do it uh, and what will you get if you do that language is essentially story and now i feel that our profession and our personal is wrapped in stories absolutely that's a great perspective sinjani you know even the womb concept that you mentioned from even epic mahabharata it was told that uh, abhimanyu learned the skill of getting into padmavyuha when he was in the womb <laughs> absolutely yes uh, abhimanyu learned chakravyuha from uh, you know and he did not know how to come out i think this is actually an analogy i have used in my book elixir mahabharata again is one of my passion Uh, subjects so i i read and i talk about it a lot so yes i mean i think it's a lot like life we are we learn how to get in but we don't always know how to kind of navigate it best and how to you know find our way out of the various traps uh, very good example thank you for that excellent so sinjini can we understand the impact of uh, storytelling in professional world because right from parenting to boardrooms everything that you mentioned right it is all about crafting stories and presenting ourselves so what is the kind of impact that it is going to have right storytelling in corporate world is slowly emerging as people are acknowledging the importance earlier i mm-hmm. would say that when i was uh, in middle management to a little senior middle management around that time i mm-hmm. would see that uh, apart from obviously departments which are like lnd etc there was no conscious emphasis on on celebrating or acknowledging rewarding language so if there were like five members in the team we would be kind of um, evaluated or you know the managerial conversations would be around obviously work and delivery we would say leadership mm-hmm. skill and good communication but we would not really talk about stories because it was there but it was hidden we did not spot it as one of the categories mm-hmm. however if you think of it effectiveness of a person always depended on their communication or their way of recollecting something being able to pitch in into a conversation and to be able to present their perspective and come out of it etc stories are not always fictional stories are essentially non fictions and like at times when uh, in the literary world we often the first question we ask is are you writing a fiction or a non fiction of course the books are di- separated by those two genres but if you mm-hmm. think of mm-hmm. you know i write fiction i uh, my book is actually a literary fiction while i write a lot of non fiction columns and i i see that how the two merge all the time together like when people really want to read a fiction fiction like imaginary characters imaginary settings it's one thing but in our daily life when i say something like you know that other day this happened and i saw this mm-hmm. that too is a story and that is what create relationships at workplaces that is what create culture at workplaces i mean our 
conversations with colleagues with our workplace you know seniors juniors it's all stories uh, especially i would say storytelling comes very handy in company culture uh, when i look at this current situation of uh, you know the covid-19 and lockdown if i can talk about that in particular mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. are slowly but quite surely seeing a consciousness around mental health till now in a workplace you know it was in a bit of denial so i have also uh, been uh, like you know when i was a very heavy duty job but uh, i had uh, major depressive disorder and anxiety etc there was at all no you know awareness and there was a lot of judgment so my i remember my you know one over supervisor he had once told me so you are going to a psychologist a psychiatrist right so, so that kind of a thing if you are feeling anxious you would have to call your manager and say i have fever yeah i think mm-hmm. stories give acceptance stories increase awareness stories become a source of shifting company culture you know obviously case studies and all in the regular company training module those are also a lot of uh, storytelling because we give case studies and we ask the employees how to navigate such situations if i talk about my personal learning and uh, delivering in stories one thing is that when we tell stories in our head those are often victim stories like mm-hmm. i know where everybody else did wrong to me and how i deserved better when i wrote my first book the biggest takeaway for me was to learn and understand perspectives Mm-hmm. what does the other person think of it so essentially you have to head hop in stories i feel in corporates and in workplaces in leadership if we learn to do the same thing how is it perceived how does the other person feel it will open up a sense of empathy if among colleagues also like if i talk about gender sensitivity or otherness or recently there are many many ideas that are coming out there has been 377 uh, scraping by the supreme court there has been hashtag me too there has been hashtag blm take any big social event like that and you would see that if only we have been preemptive if only we have told stories that mainstreamed and included the other and the other comes in you know maybe caps and blocks the other is very important and stories help us embrace the other if we can do that effectively at home in our dinner table conversations to workplaces to lunch table colleague conversations i feel that we can grow empathy we can move to a emotionally safe workplace culture now workplaces operate or till late recent times workplaces operated from a sense of fear psychosis and mm-hmm. uh, there is a prospect of trying to develop the preemptive culture rather than being pulled up that you are assaulting somebody or you are kind of being uh, discriminatory why don't we take that step first and we create a culture of inclusion through stories we create a culture of diversity through stories why don't we mainstream the the literature with a default pronoun of she or they where it is more inclusive to the variety and to the spectrum of gender why don't we put up stories in terms of the pictures on the wall or the pictures of you know marketing uses on billboards the businesses use the typical picture of success is a man uh, with tie and with a suitcase in hand what if we put a woman on there what if we put an expecting mother on the billboards where we pose a successful person's picture those are picture stories I feel that businesses and society can learn a lot from from telling, hearing, depicting, visualizing stories. Great insights, Sanjani. 
you know i'm really curious now on where did this all start what inspired you into this storytelling and these diversified skills like you know literary world you know writing educational institutes and of course the corporate engagements that's one small a very interesting place to go into i have had a pretty sharp swerve as they say in career so yeah going back to my childhood maybe um, like many of us like many of you perhaps i too was brought up on this typical great indian myth which is if you mm-hmm. study hard everything else will fall in place yeah so you just you just study hard that's all you have to do so i studied hard and i went to the best institute i would say i mean when it comes to my subject i studied at indian statistical institute when i was in college it was a dream come true to be able to crack admission there then i mm-hmm. went on to get placed as an actuary and you know i had a pretty quick fast paced career journey and it has been all well on the outside so it also exposed the fallacy of the system to me quickly enough <laughs> because if somewhere i'm i'm sure each one of us is creative we are born creative education spoils us I think in our generation we are quite quick to realize that that was a industrial model our parents grew up on they had their own struggles they had their own challenges their own maslow's curve you know maslow's triangle uh, elevation level from where they operated they taught us something and we blindfoldedly we followed that path yet when you get disillusioned by that process you quickly realize that uh, there are many things that needs to be fixed If I talk about my personal journey I feel that uh, there are a few aspects of course we are all very complex human beings we are all uh, like in interdisciplinary in terms of academics or interests or curiosity we mm-hmm. are all intersectional as people i am a woman but i am privileged in terms of my maybe caste or religion in india i uh, economically but i am maybe not so privileged when it comes to my gender or when when it comes to few other factors so it's a very laced uh, lattice of uh, identity mm-hmm. if i talk about my journey in the corporate when i became a mother i i mean obviously it's like there there is a discriminatory factor from your very first breath if i am walking uh, down the street the number of boys that would kind of catcall at me and how a boy feels safe in the street is also very different starting from the time maybe when i was 5 years old but um, when particularly i became a mother and in the journey towards it when i fortunately not for very long for just a few months but a typical infertility treatments etc which are so common but so few people talk about it mm-hmm. so through all of that i realized that you know there is a huge hypocrisy that we are living perhaps i mean the difference in reality of a girl and a boy and how we are totally oblivious of it i mean we see it it's like the elephant in the room and when it starts to show up in your own life you realize how drastic it is and yet nobody talks about it and when you are in that situation you feel it's only happening to me and it's my fault mm-hmm. it's my shame my guilt my weight to carry uh, my cross to carry and uh, it's only after a lot of inner work after a lot of journey you realize that the personal is political as a young mother and working in a job including trans commute hours would amount to 12 13 hours a day so you wake up and um, with an interface with the us where it's more towards the evening 
so when i would come back home at 12 in the night after finishing and again road safety means that if my job gets over at 10 o'clock in the night and um, i don't drive myself and uh, you know the roads aren't safe so you wait for the company drop which will convert a 15 minutes distance into a one and a half hours so all of these small factors it may sound like these are petty things everyone works with it so you know what are you cribbing about go ahead with your life move on Mm-hmm. But these small things pile up to make your reality and how you live your days, how you live your life. I used to come home at twelve in the night and not be able to sleep because of stress and everything else, guilt, whatever it is, internal, external hurdles. And in the morning, my daughter, who was like two and a half, three years old, maybe around the time I'm talking about, would get up in the morning, and the nanny will wake her up uh, and prepare her and see her off to school. I would just about get up in time to say hi, and she would be crying, and she would go to school. And by the time she comes home, I would have left for work. And what is this life really? And work, I would have to pretend I don't have a baby at home. I would have to pretend I don't have a job. And what does it really do to you? And who are you? And what are the facets in your life i mean forget about self time you don't even have it is very lopsided and we don't often talk about it until life happens to you so those uh, small realizations started to pile up and together and finally i guess it moves your ground and when you ignore the messages for a very long time your body starts to speak and it goes up So, so that happened. Yeah, that happened. So finally, it turned into a lot of. I would say it was a blessing in disguise, and it was perhaps adversities at times a kind of a wake-up call. When I woke up, it almost was an emotional rebirth because I felt that there were so many things that I wouldn't have noticed if it didn't happen to me, and so many people go through it. And the only way we go through it is by absorbing all that is wrong, not with us but with the world. and somebody needs to start talking many people are doing that talking i'm i'm very well aware and i'm deeply grateful for all the people who came before me and did that so that i could be here talking to you today for example but there's so much left to be done and we all have to do it so all your real life experiences have inspired you to get into this storytelling so this is an amazing uh, backdrop And now uh, let's talk a little bit about your book, the award-winning book Elixir, which was also made into a short film in Bengali. So, did you imagine that your book will inspire someone to make a movie and also get featured at the prestigious Cannes Film Festival? And I mean, has this been your passion since childhood, or has it just uh, come out of your experience? Okay. so elixir had its own story i mean elixir story is so fascinating that at times i have to pinch myself to believe it myself whether mm-hmm. it came from childhood yeah of somebody asks me to close my eyes and go back to my childhood i think the picture i see is that you know i had my corner in my room i had the privilege of having my own room like virginia wolf says a you know room of your own for girls so i always had my own room and uh, mm-hmm. i would typically you know be seen sitting with some kind of a textbook history geography or physics and if you look carefully inside that there would be tucked in you know a story book or a novel that i would be secretly reading while my parents when they passed by they would see the textbook so i have always been an ardent uh, reader i never thought anything can come out of it i always thought that you have to career is career and you know obviously reading is reading so that is my backdrop of loving stories from my childhood uh, again uh, 
since I stepped out of home and went to my first job in Bombay, then to Bangalore, then shifted to Gurgaon. Um, there were hardly one or two favorite books that I always carried with me, even if I was living life in a suitcase. Now I am very proud to say, and um, since we are doing a podcast, you cannot see it, but I have one room which is a library, and I have several books. I'm very proud of it. It's my happy corner. We would love to see that actually. Yeah, it's my happy corner. I'm so proud of it. It's like um, it's really, you know, if I feel bad, I just step into this space and I remember how many books are left to read, and I'm kind of back in life. Growing up, and uh, again, you know, totally literature was totally gone from my life when I got absorbed into my career, especially because as an actuary, you have to come home and study and crack difficult exams, and uh, the passing rates are at times one percent or two percent, or even there were times when thirty-six people appeared for an exam and zero passed. So that's a very usual thing. So having wow. to pass so fourteen exams of various difficulty levels, I really did not have much time for literature left in my life for a very long time. At least for about a decade, at least, and then uh, again, life happened. So this is a very clear one-day incident. One day, I was coming back from work to home. It was 11 in the night. I was sitting in my office cab, waiting mm-hmm. for the drop home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what happened that day, and a very sudden idea came to me. And on any other day, I would just let it pass. I really don't mm-hmm. know what happened that day that I. Pulled out the BlackBerry from my handbag and I started to punch in that story. I just wrote, you know, almost like in a trance. I I don't know how that uh, you know that journey of one one and a half hours passed as the cab went around in my city and dropped me last. Uh, by the end of it, I had had a story written out. My blog was just about a month old or something like that. Around that time, I published the story in my blog. My husband again. He is a banker. He works in Barclays, and he has been in theaters ever since. He has uh, directed, uh, you know, plays and theater, written it and directed it ever since he was like himself in class seven or something. Wow! And we have also done theaters when we were in Bangalore, when we were in Gurgaon. So in Alliance Plaza, we had our show in Bangalore, also in Rangashankara. So he has always been in theaters, and the common theme is that all our friends close to the date of the show. One or the other would get admission in a B school or change job and relocate. So it's not easy to actually, you know, find time and get all people together and conduct a theatre production. So he has been doing that with a great tenacity for a very long time until he could. So when he read that story, and the story was very, very similar. So I'll come to that a while later. So when he read mm-hmm. that story, his first instinct was that you know I want to make it into a short film. And I was like, "Are you mad?" Because it was around the time when I had I was falling sick, and the doctor had you know given an ultimatum that if you don't take a career break now, you won't really survive this. You would be mm-hmm. dead for the rest of your life or something. Yeah. I was a step away from quadriplegia actually, so I was very very ill. So I had just put in my paper, and I was like, "Are you mad?" But he actually stuck to that. We crowdfunded, so one friend gave two thousand rupees, one friend gave uh, you know fifty dollars, another gave five thousand, and then we broke a few fixed deposits, and we we actually took that very crazy step of writing the script together. The two of us fought like tooth and nail. Obviously, my story, his vision. So you can imagine the you know fireworks at home. So all of that happened, and we finally actually he went out and made the film. Uh, 35 minutes long in Bengali with subtitles, of course, and then he sent it out to a few festivals. And uh, around that time, I put in my paper, and uh, I was mostly on bed rest. 
and then one day there was this email in our mailbox saying Moshio and that your film has been selected to be screened at the short film corner at the 69th Cannes Film Festival and it was you know really to pinch ourselves away moment so that happened the film actually got uh, you know several awards internationally it got best film at Boston Kaleidoscope and a number of you know best screenplay award from 575 international films at one of the other film festivals um, all of those things happened and a number of screening happened in various cities in india so we also walked the red carpet at cannes and it was like really mind blowing at one of the screenings in Gurgaon, uh, this gentleman at the end of the screening, we were just standing there answering questions from the audience, and this gentleman came and gave me his visiting card and said that I am a publisher of the publishing house called Vidomania. Uh, his name is Dipankar Mukherjee. So he said uh, that this belongs to a book, and I would like to sign you. I was like, uh, is this a hoax? Because I knew, that <laughs> just, uh, you know, I never in my dream did I think that. I mean, I grew up on stories where J.K. Rowling got rejected twelve times before Harry Potter saw the light of the day, right? I actually ha- had the privilege of signing my first book contract before I wrote the first word of the manuscript. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's a story so difficult to believe. I find it hard to believe at times. So then over the next one year, around that time, I was actually freelancing and writing columns with a number of publications, Huffington mm-hmm. Post and a number of publications, good publications on various things such as, you know, things close to my heart, like women at workplaces, etc. So then I stopped everything and started to write this book and the book got, you know, the film was screened in 2016 and the book uh, came out and got published in 2017. I was very, very fortunate with the love it gathered because I had zero connections in the world of uh, journalism and uh, this is a pretty close circle, the literary circle mm-hmm. is pretty closed and small and people know each other, they come from you know shared journalism background or they would have studied English etc. So I was a very newbie, the publishing house is also relatively small and you know and I was very clear on my values that obviously I am a you know, I'm an old school author, so I don't believe in spending at all on, on marketing. So I am very much like, you know, the book has its own life. I have my own life. I'm not going to do a paid market. I was so, so touched when the book uh, was picked up. In fact, much after its release, I would say it was a very organic pickup. I got interviewed by the Hindu. The book was, uh, you know, featured and it, reviewed in almost every mainstream like you know Hindustan Times to Statesman to Asian it's every single I would say you know it was and then it got shortlisted among the five best fictions of 2017 at Gurgaon Lit Test in 2018 so it was a huge break and it was really uh, you know uh, I had been very very scared because the film already had achieved so much it was a risk to write a book on it again and to you know to be told that <laughs> the book is nowhere close to the film. But frankly, <laughs> it did live up to my dignity. I would say it saved my face. And uh, the book had its own story to tell. And uh, it has been a very lovely journey. It kind of changed the way I saw myself because I never knew I could make a career all separate from my actuarial identity. And now I think I have to remind people that I had once been an actuary. So, yeah. <laughs> That's quite inspiring, Sinjini. So with all these exciting and demanding engagements, how do you manage your time? Like, do you have some patented cloning technique kind of thing? And <laughs> we are really curious to learn some tips from you. And I'm sure it will also benefit our audience. 
थैंक यू सो मच आई एट टाइम्स रियली अमेज माई सेल्फ बिकॉज आई ऑलवेज थिंक ऑफ द टाइम वेन आई कुड नॉट इवन पुल माई सेल्फ आउट ऑफ द बेड टू गो एंसर द डोर वेल आई वॉज सो यू नो सो डाउन एंड इट्स अ लॉट ऑफ इनर वर्क इट्स नॉट दैट आई डू समथिंग सुपर ह्यूमन एंड आई डोंट एट ऑल बिलीव इन द थियोरी ऑफ यू नो सुपर वुमन स्टोरीज एंड आई रियली हेट इट एंड आई फील दैट इट्स पॉलिटिकली मोटिवेटेड विद पीपल आस्क वीमेन हाउ डू यू मैनेज विन दे डोंट आस्क मेन एटसेट्रा but having said that yes i have surprised myself with my productivity lately because uh, i did not imagine i could do quite a few things together i think i am spreading myself a little thin and i am taking a little bit of chance on myself i should i should rest up a bit as well but uh, when you find your passion it doesn't feel like work i i am so driven by the work i'm doing and i feel so strongly that there is a need for this work it may sound a little like a pep talk or something but the work i'm doing now and the way i feel right now it's really a textbook material like they say you know ikigai is a concept i'm sure many of you would have yep. heard already yeah yeah where what you can do what skills you have and what you love to do and what the world needs and what the world will pay you for when the four of that meet it's quite magic uh, and uh, frankly i have trained myself very hard i what i love to do i i discovered very late that i love to talk and i love to write because my profession was very different from it before that I trained myself over the last 6 years you know I cannot list the number of courses I did in positive psychology in self determination theory how motivation works I am a vipassana meditator so uh, you know how spirituality and psychology and philosophy and also hard analytics like how critical thinking and creative thinking come together because whatever you do art or craft or whatever you do essentially it requires both the both creative and critical thinking so to marry the two sides and um, i have been a public speaker very ardently so i have been a toastmaster for 5 years now i completed my dtm so the dtm plaque came just yesterday so uh, i have had the opportunity again you know motivation is very important even if we say that intrinsic motivation is what you need but at times you do need some extrinsic motivation i've been very fortunate i have been invited on tedx twice and i spoke on subjects very close to my heart i spoke on gender neutral parenting on my first tedx and on the second one i spoke about growing up workplaces ready for women like mm-hmm. so long we prepared girls for the workplaces now we need to grow workplaces ready for the women and uh, i do get invited to places where it matters and where uh, you know it influences like i was very fortunate to be invited to speak at the 8th national hr conference on glass ceilings and to the you know to many industry leaders and also to the batch of outgoing xlri students who will form the future hr and mm-hmm. how how interesting and exciting can it be to talk to people who would actually go out and create company policies so my exhaustion is really so secondary or tertiary to that uh, scheme of so i am very kicked about the work i'm doing and i do feel that uh, it will somewhere i don't know how and when and exactly how but i do trust that it will matter and it's not important who is doing it i am doing it or you are doing it what matters is things should change for the better it's high time absolutely sanjani Thank you very much for your valuable time and amazing thoughts. It was indeed a great conversation on this special topic on storytelling and your passion shows in the variety of great stuff that you are doing starting from your academic engagements to corporate engagements to your book writing 
to TEDx talks to the topmost activity which I really liked about improving the society to ensure that we are not gender biased. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. It's my honor and my pleasure. And it was a lovely session. I really love talking to you. And the stories and the questions you asked me were very relevant and gave me a lot of space to cover. I just want to mention that uh, I am again starting. I took the leap finally to start Lighthouse, which is again by mm-hmm. bringing all my passion together under one umbrella. The tagline of Lighthouse is storytelling, change making, and thought leadership. Mm-hmm. I am hoping to be able to teach uh, skills to tell our stories better, self awareness, and to write our stories better through creative writing, to tell our stories better through effective and you know communication and powerful storytelling from the stage, and to also be able to creatively explore inside and find those jewels inside us. That's always there. Only you know we kind of lose uh, sight of them, and then change make through such conversations like the one we are just having right now. thought leadership where we talk about various players in the ecosystem and bring them together for a 360 degree solution because at times we try to solve things in vacuum when we talk about workplace problems we solve it within the workplace whereas we don't talk about child care we don't talk about schools we don't talk about education system so we have to have a 360 degree angle and i'm trying to contribute in my own small way so starting 2nd september which is perhaps going to be after uh, by the time this podcast comes out and uh, i think the course would have rolled out already i'm taking up uh, i'm rolling out the first intensive program a 20 hour program in powerful storytelling where i will teach a class i'm inviting uh, registrations for that where i'll teach art and craft of storytelling how to find the stories how to own up your stories how to put power and punch into your stories how to speak with authority and authenticity and courage how to modulate voice how to use your body hand eyes face gestures and how to create a legacy through your stories so i'm looking very excitedly forward to that first program from lighthouse and i do hope that i will be rolling out a lot of programs like that in collaboration with people because i do believe that collaboration is the way forward i mean we are not really here to contest against each other i mean when intentions are together we should kind of pull our forces together and uh, do it together so um, i'm really looking forward to a lot of excitement going forward with lighthouse Yep, definitely, Sinjini. We are going to publish the details of Lighthouse in this episode description. We also look forward for further collaboration with you in terms of future episodes or where we can contribute to Lighthouse as well. So, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, dear listeners. To know more about our speaker and the content, visit or follow us on social media, or feel free to email us, and we will be happy. to share further details with you all right so it brings us to the trivia segment of today's episode and you know today's trivia is about innovation and money spent did you ever think that there is a correlation between innovation and money spent according to 2017 report by price water coopers annual global innovation 1000 report They found that there is no statistical evidence to prove a correlation between money spent on research and development and financial performance. So the logical conclusion would be that it is how you spend the money rather than how much you spend that is important. Also, a huge percentage of business executives, like to be precise it's about 93% of them 
think that innovation driven by organic growth will increase their revenue interesting isn't it thank you for listening have a wonderful time take care and be safe